It's so wonderful to be back here again. It's such a privilege to see smiling, familiar faces. Uh, It makes me feel so much more comfortable to be back here after so long. But as Dave said, I want to start by acknowledging the elephant in the room. How great was the footy on Friday night? (laughs) I'm so glad that Geelong had a comfortable win over the Lions because being a big Geelong supporter, I was a little bit worried about whether I would still have a voice for today. Um, I've followed Geelong since I was a little girl, and um, this story is quite relevant to where I'm going, so if you're not a footy fan, stay with me. My dad used to take me along to Kidinia Park when I was little, and we used to watch the footy. He'd take a milk crate along for me to stand on so I could still see, um, and we'd stand in the outer. But following a footy team isn't the easiest thing to do, is it? It's not just a one-time decision. If you're a loyal supporter, you have to stick out the tough times, even when it gets really hard. My younger brother goes for Essendon. Um, when he, w- he was only six years old when Geelong played the Eagles in the 1992 grand final. And uh, he thought that being a cat supporter wasn't all it was cracked up to be. So he declared that he was going to jump on the bandwagon of whoever won the grand final the following season. Isn't that convenient? As a kid, he celebrated that 93 flag as if he'd been a Bombers supporter for his entire life. He's still a Bombers supporter, but isn't it funny, he doesn't really care much for football now. I must admit, I almost gave up on the Cats myself after the loss of 95. I remember crying and cutting down the streamers I'd put up outside of our house at three quarter time, because let's face it, it was well and truly already done by then. (laughs) My little 11 year old heart was a bit broken after our third grand final loss in four years, but I've stuck with them. I've stayed the path and what a journey the last 15 years has been. Well, this morning I would like to talk to you about a different kind of journey, about what it truly means to follow Not a team, but a person. Because there's someone that has my heart so much more than a footy team. His name is Jesus. And I'd like to pose to you this morning that following him, being a disciple of Jesus, also isn't a one-time decision. It's a formation process, a commitment of a lifetime. Much like marriage, it's a relationship that requires us to show up and to keep choosing Him when times get hard. He's the one that transforms us truly from the inside out. And today, I'd like us to consider what Jesus meant when He called out His disciples and said, come, follow me, and what it means to remain in Him. So let's get stuck into some Scripture For those of you who have your physical Bibles and bring them along still, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 this morning, in verse 15 through to 17. Otherwise, it will be up on the screen. Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me 
and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus here is proclaiming the availability of the Kingdom of God and He began issuing invitations to come and follow Him in light of this reality. Now, we could spend a whole sermon in and of itself unpacking what is the Kingdom of God, but for the purposes of today's message, here's a key line from the Lord's Prayer. Your Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This helps us to see that the Kingdom of God is not exclusively connected with a single location, heaven or earth, but it is with the will of God. Therefore, the Kingdom could be most simply defined as the realm where God's will is done. Now, Jesus' invitation to His first would-be disciples is, follow me and I will make you. The phrase here, I will make you, is a wonderful, wonderful promise. Because the Greek word here for make is poiau, which translates better as remake. Follow me and I will remake you. Poiau is an artistic term that signals that Jesus is interested in taking who they are and right in that moment and forming them into something new. Likewise, when we make the decision to accept Jesus' invitation to follow Him, He makes us into something new. It's a process. It's about being made more like Jesus, a process of becoming all we are created to be. We become His apprentices for life. Now, apprenticeships, as anyone who would know who has done a trade, um, require commitment. You can't just call yourself a chippy because you wake up one morning and think, I'd like to be one. Not only do you have to find someone who'll take you on or be a successful applicant for an apprenticeship, but you also then actually have to turn up. You have to put in the hours to become that trade. Day after day, week after week, year after year, you have to engage in the process of becoming what you're aiming for, much like Christianity. As followers of Jesus, we are called to participate in the life He has called us to. This is the part that I think we in the Western church get so wrong because we're not good with perseverance, are we? We like easy. We desire a mere decision as opposed to discipleship because that's easy, isn't it? It has been easier for the church to reduce the whole gospel of Jesus down to an event, the cross, that requires a one-time response. Put simply, we've reframed it as repent and believe. Now, before you debate me, I think we've been really good at cutting down the gospel to the forgiveness of sins and the destination of heaven, which is fabulous news. But there's so much more. What about repent, believe, follow Him, and enjoy His will being done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven? 
Now, what I don't mean to do here is minimise our need for forgiveness and the substitutionary death of Jesus as part of the broader kingdom message. The cross is a crucial part of the gospel story, but it's only one part. It's a big part, a big part, but it's still not the whole story. What I'm concerned about is our overemphasis of forgiveness to the point where Christians become merely someone who's been saved through a decision to accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, believing in His sacrifice on the cross, which is great, and the resurrection power that enables them to get into heaven when they die. But discipleship has been left behind as an optional extra. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Isn't it great? I'm forgiven now and I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but it's okay. Like, I'll just keep living the way I always have because God's grace is always there, right? So I'll just take the title without the apprenticeship. Thank you very much. Our Western church, and I'm not just talking about the institution of church or even the staff, but all of us, Churches are made up of people, right? We are the church. We've been great at altar calls, but not so great at what is then required to walk beside people once they've made that decision, to do life with them even when it gets hard, or maybe to even hang on to our own faith when life hasn't turned out as we hoped that it would. Some of us have walked away. And unfortunately, we've modelled a Christianity without being a disciple. But when Jesus proclaimed the availability of the kingdom, the good news is He didn't just call us to be believers. He called us for and produced apprentices in kingdom living in the disciples to be our examples. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in this gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. In the gospels, Jesus communicates this availability of kingdom life and when he does, he's testifying of this abundant kind of life that actually we can live now. We don't have to wait until we get into heaven before grace can draw us into an interactive life with God, into a relationship with Him, a union with Jesus. When we look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, it becomes clear that actually the aim of Jesus is to get heaven into us whilst in the midst of our earthly existence, not just to get us into heaven. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So my question today is for those of you who have at some point in your life decided to follow Jesus, are you allowing heaven into your heart? Have you continued in your faith? 
Are you allowing Jesus to mould and shape you or are you only giving Him little parts of your life? Maybe you made that decision once and then left it at the door on the day you made it. Follow me, he says, I will make you, I will remake you. There's an abundant life waiting for us, church, should we choose to walk in his ways. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's not sell the gospel short of the whole story of all the good news that Jesus has to offer us. In John 10.10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I love the story of the interaction between Jesus and the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight. I think it's such a fitting illustration of the decision versus discipleship challenge. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Grace and then truth. Grace and then truth. This woman who was lined up to be stoned wasn't just forgiven, released from condemnation and shame. This wasn't just grace, church. It was grace and then truth. And the truth isn't easy to hear. She was forgiven and asked then to sin no more. Jesus didn't say, okay, I forgive you now. So carry on. Go back to what you were doing as you were. No, interactions with Jesus changes us. In this story, Jesus extends a friendship, a relationship of unconditional love that would change this woman on the inside. And when we're changed from within, we change the way we live. We're not supposed to be living life on our terms. By following Jesus, we sign up to less of me, Lord, and more of you. But how good are we as Christians at only picking out the stuff in the Bible that suits us? Young adults. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to come to church and I'll, I'll come to the young adults hub night and I, I pray. 
but I'll also stay in this relationship, thank you very much, with this person who doesn't seek his kingdom first alongside me and I'm not going to change my behaviour in it either. Husbands and wives, how do you treat your spouse? Does how you treat your spouse reflect your calling to seek first God's kingdom? We don't get to say, it doesn't matter how I live, only that I believe. Wrong. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I'd love to encourage you this morning, church. Don't grow weary and lose heart. We need each other. Now again, please hear my heart. God relates to us by his grace, not by our performance. We are unconditionally loved by Him, whether we even believe in Him or not. But through His grace and Spirit within us, upon the confession of our faith, we can become more like Him as we are called to live lives that give Him glory. The hope of the church is in individuals. People are looking at you. They're looking for God in you. And I wonder if your neighbour, your colleague, your gym buddies see God in you. When we choose to have union with Christ, we have a hope for the future, even if the world looks bleak. We have a meaning and purpose beyond ourselves, just like what Matt unpacked for us last Sunday. Life on a double axis. I absolutely love that message. And in fact, I loved it so much, I stole his slide. The world has told us that we live between this spectrum of unpleasant, painful and sad through to what is pleasurable, enjoyable and happy. But the good news of the gospel is that our lives don't need to be limited by this horizontal line. It's not the only paradigm. There is a double axis because what If God gave us a life, not so we could work towards being happy, but being holy. Whether we're currently experiencing mountaintop uh, moments in life or we're walking through our deepest valley yet, when we stay the path, when we hold on to God, even when things get tough, when we keep following Him, when we get the perspective that we're rescued for a far greater purpose than ourselves, we get to step into a life that's above the line, a life that brings Him glory should we choose to remain in Him, to remain in the vine. John 15 verses five to 10, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in His love. Well, it all sounds good, doesn't it? But what tools exist, what tools are available to help us put into practice things that we know will help build our faith, to help build our strength to remain in Jesus as we follow Him. I'd like to make it really practical for you this morning. Because for thousands of years, spiritual guides from vastly different traditions have emphasised the importance of spiritual practices. These practices have been called various names from spiritual disciplines, a rule of life, or means of grace. They're routines that allow us to place ourselves before God so that He can transform us. I have various disciplines that I try my best to follow to maintain my union with Christ. And I'd like to share a few of them with you today in hope that they might help to spark your imagination of what might work best for you. These two in particular are facilitated by apps on my phone. Both apps were recommended to me by the amazing Annette, who's given me some amazing resources over the years. And the first one, for those taking notes, is an app called Pause, which you'll see on the screen. It prompts you twice a day to stop and be still. How important is that in our busy schedules? You can set the time that it pops up on your phone. For me, it's 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. And I don't always get there. If I'm engaged with people, I often dismiss it. But if I'm alone, it gives me a choice to choose from a one, three, five, or 10-minute Christian-guided meditation. It's incredible how effective it is in helping me to build my union with Jesus. And God knows we all need the help, don't we? The other is called Reimagining the Examine. The Examine is a 500-year-old prayer tradition created by Ignatius of Loyola, designed to be a short prayer in which we can review our day. The app provides many different versions of the Examine depending on what topic you're wanting to look at or maybe your season of life. And it facilitates you through a five-step process where you relish, request, review, repent and resolve. And I try to do this every night before I go to sleep. It helps me to recognise where God has been in my day. It brings me closer to Jesus and gives me the perspective of that vertical axis of life. It alerts me to what might be lurking deeper under the surface for me. It helps me to ask for help when needed and to discern how to handle the trickier parts of life. It keeps me grateful helps me to prayerfully look to tomorrow with hope 
and to give all my cares to God before I go to sleep. First Peter 1, as I come into land, our verses 13 to 16, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who is, has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. As it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now for some of you, preparing your minds for action will include reading the Bible as soon as you wake up. For some of you, it will be undistracted times of worship. For some of you, you use more sensory um, reminders such as placing a small wooden cross in your pocket so that you can hold on to it when experiences um, come up during the day where you feel pain or opposition without anyone being the wiser. Some of you stick post-it notes around your homes and in your cars to remind you to stop and connect with God. However you have union with him, find a way that works for you. No matter how you choose to do it, you must find ways to build faith into your life daily and habitually for your perseverance to remain in him. I'm going to invite the music team back up as we come into land here. And we're going to finish our morning together this morning with the sacred spiritual practice of communion. I'll ask you to come forward to the stations at the front or the back of the auditorium to receive your elements now as I continue leading us through this time. Come on up, guys. As we gather in union with one another, we take these elements as a reminder of Christ's atonement for us, standing in our place on that cross, taking on our sin. He reconciled us to God so that we could abide in union with Him. That we could not just abide with God in heaven when we die, but we have relationship with Him here and now on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus asked us to take communion in memory of Him. This morning, we're going to take the bread as a reminder of his body broken for us. And we drink the wine and juice as a reminder of his blood shed for us. This remembering is one of the ways we can heal, restore, grow and strengthen our union with him as we press forward in our faith. Now today we're going to experience something a little bit different as we take communion together. I'm going to play a guided meditation from the one minute pause app. I would invite you now to close your eyes and focus on Jesus. 
as you connect to Him, please feel free to take the elements in your own time as a symbol of commitment to following Jesus, to this journey of discipleship, a commitment to love God, love others, and to continue remaining in this love. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. What do you need to let go of? given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, heal my union with you. I love you. I believe you. I worship you. Restore our union, Lord. Heal and restore our union. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray for more of you, God. Fill me with more of you. I pray the river of life would fill me, restore me, renew me, surround me. I need more of you, God. Saturate me with your love. Saturate me with your life. That's good. That's enough for now. Jesus, we love you so much, Lord. We thank you for standing in our place and taking our sins upon your shoulders on that cross. But you didn't stay on that cross and we're not gonna stay there either. We're not gonna stay where we are. We declare, Lord, that we trust you. And though the journey isn't easy, Though we are crushed and pressed on all sides, we offer our hearts to You again, Jesus, because through our obedience, we know You are breaking new ground. We thank You that You strengthen us 
with power through Your Spirit in our inner being when we choose to follow You, Jesus. Thank You for choosing us to be Your disciples. Bring new wine out of us this week, Lord, as we ground ourselves in Your love and follow in Your ways. In Jesus' mighty Name we pray. Amen.